I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. And this is Race to the Bottom. Baby. In the background. Well, to tell you what's in the background, first I need to do this. It's a segment of the show I like to call Recommended. It's a recommendation. 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 It's a recommendation. Recommendation. So we got HBO. Yes, HBO. It's where it happens. Isn't that, what was their tagline? It's not TV, it's HBO. And um, we're trying to figure out what to watch. And we watched um, Living in the Material World, the Scorsese Scorsese documentary on George Harrison. It's good, but it's long. We actually haven't finished it yet because it's like 17 hours long. But George was the best. So good. And uh, it... You know, his his friendship with Ravi Shankar reminded me how I used to love to listen to Ravi Shankar. And I hadn't in a while. And this is Ravi Shankar in the background. And this is one of his morning ragas. Because it's Saturday morning as we're listening to this. Unless you're listening to it on the archive. And it could be any time. And then it might be a weird juxtaposition because you're listening to a morning raga and it's the afternoon and maybe you could notice the ways in which this raga just doesn't seem seem right because it's specially attuned that morning vibe but we'll play some George Harris in this show maybe to wrap things up and over the next few weeks because I'm on a, I'm on a jag George Harrison slash Beatles Jag. Thing that I noticed about the Beatles is they just, and this is not like groundbreaking, but you know they were so big, but they just kept making better and better music. It seems like usually when a band or a actor or artist gets notoriety, usually they start nosediving. But not those beatless, los beatless. And you know what else hasn't no- taken a nose dive in quality is, uh, Winslow T. Nope, it hasn't. I'm drinking it now. Thank you, as always, to Winslow T for supporting and sponsoring my opening monologue. Please hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know and steep into the conversation. Why don't you? Okay? So... I am about to present to you something that went... You know, sometimes you have expectations. Sometimes you you have expectations and it's, it's a kind of foolhardy to even have them because you get disappointed. But sometimes 
you do something and it, ex- it exceeds your wildest expectations. And that's how I feel about the first annual all-time sports draft. I had the guys from Steve Sachs Syndrome, Tom and Scott, and Brian DeMena from Giants Among Men here on Radio Free Brooklyn, as well as my brother-in-law, Mark. And I brought these guys together to do a draft of the best moments, teams, athletes of all time that really highlight the majesty of sports. And gosh darn it if it wasn't the best, funniest thing of all time. You can tune in to the Steve Sachs Syndrome every Saturday at 3 p.m. on my old station, Asheville FM. Check out Brian DeMena's Giants Among Men here on Radio Free Brooklyn, 6 a.m. on Thursdays. Or you can check the replay at any time. Check it on Saturday as you're eating your brunch and go to Yardage Marker on uh, the World Wide Web to check out my brother-in-law's blog he's a great writer hopefully some new traffic will inspire him to pen some some new pieces Although he might be a little busy coming up because he's having a bambina, as they say. All right, so without further ado, I present to you the first annual All Sports Draft here on Radio Free Brooklyn, Race to the Bottom, baby. Um. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, guys. This is really fun. The first annual all sports draft. And um, we got some of my sports friends who all, all of you guys know more about sports than I do. So I'm, I'm going to play host here. We've got Brian DeMena, co-host of Giants Among Men on Radio Free Brooklyn. Hey, Brian. Hey, John. How's it going? I'm good. How you doing? Good. You excited for this? I'm very excited. I like the format you've put together here. All right. What if you just said no? I'm not actually very yeah, excited. No, I'm you just said, you second. asked me to do this, and I <laughs> felt like I had to. <laughs> All right, and and then blogger and and um, golfer and sports aficionado, my brother-in-law Mark. How's it going? Good. How you doing, John? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. You you uh you crunched the numbers. You you ready to go? Yeah, I did a little research uh, the past couple of days to support my my picks. Hopefully, so I'm ready to go. Okay, and the two returning guests from Steve Sachs Syndrome. We've got my former improv comedy teacher and uh, storyteller and co-host of Steve Sachs Syndrome, Tom Chalmers. What's up, man? Hi, John. Every, everybody's voice sounds so good. It's coming in real clear. We have come ready. 
And um, we have uh, real microphones. Yes, I love it. And the other host of Steve Sack Syndrome, who who was here so excited, came a half an hour early. I it, it, the extra thirty minutes gave me time to work on my draft board. You know, like I mean, I've been. You know, like I've got a team here. We've been going over the board. <laughs> We've been simulating all the different draft picks that could happen. So, you know, I, I think we're ready for everything. Nice. I, I like your uh, proactive, uh, not a missed opportunity. A uh, <laughs> just redirected. We just um, go for value. Yeah. All right, guys. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to do a snake draft. Okay. Uh, we'll start with Brian just because he happens to be on my top left uh, of the screen, and we'll just we'll just spiral down. You guys like how I know what a snake draft is, <laughs> um, so which means that it will be Brian, Mark, Tom, then Scott, and then because Scott picked last, we'll go. He'll Scott will get another pick for the for the next round, right? And yeah. then we'll go in opposite order and just kind of keep snaking back and forth i like my value thank you <laughs> all right so so we this is an all-time sports draft we're going to try to uh kind of encapsulate what is majestical about about sports and what we love and basing that on on athletes and teams and narratives and fantastical moments and we'll we'll just get this started so, maybe it's a lovable, gritty horse that has captured the heart of a nation during a dark period of history. Maybe it's a douchebag quarterback with a golden arm and an undying love for Brazilian supermodels, pizza moguls, and fascist presidents. Or maybe it's a tubby pitcher from the Dominican Republic whose undeniable sex appeal and raw athleticism made up for the fact that he was old, out of shape, and had a secret family that was discovered by the New York Post. First round, athletes. This could be a story around a single person, a comeback, uh, somebody who just dominated, just a hilarious character, somebody super weird, uh, inspiring, etc. Okay, Brian, take it away. Well, I'm going to go with, this is my first great love as an athlete, the most important sports figure in my early days as a sports fan. So I'm going to pick Phil Sims. New York Giants first round selection. Quarterback Phil Sims, Moorhead State. The Giants quarterback of the 1980s and 90s. John, I know you know my brother Tom. We were both kind of dangerously in love with Phil Sims back in the days. And actually, Giants Among Men, which is by the show that we do on Radio Free Brooklyn comes from that was the title of the like 1986 yearbook video of the Giants which I watched re relentlessly and where Phil Sims famously went 22 of 25 in Super Bowl 21 set a record that still stands to this day and you know my passions for sports starts with Phil Sims and like liking to argue about sports people kind of have memory hold this but there was a time when you used to have to fight people over who was better Jeff Hostetler versus Phil Sims and now that argument feels quaint in hindsight because Phil has won it so triumphantly and I also my grandfather uh, actually worked for the Giants when I was a kid so I got to attend 
the circus with Phil Sims. Wow. When I was like eight years old and got to play with his son, Chris. And it was very fun. We watched the elephants and Ringling Brothers. And uh, so that was like stuck with me for my whole life. So, so I'm going with Phil Sims. Nice. And anything specifically that you loved about his demeanor? Well, my brother like spent the first part of his life I would say trying to embody Phil Sims. <laughs> you never, never got the, the, you never got the gift of watching Tom DeMena play football. But it, everything he did was Phil Sims, and I feel like we both were totally obsessed with his movements. Just there was, you know, he was like, you know, to now you would say he he was very good. He he ultimately wasn't like an all time great, but he was very very good. But he was just gritty, and he uh, he was really fun to watch. Nice. All right, Phil Sims. You you can no longer uh, claim Phil Sims, Mark. Who who do you who do you have? <laughs> nice pick there, Brian. Yep, he wasn't on my draft board, but that's that's a solid pick for sure. Uh, I'm gonna go with, and I don't think this is too much of a surprise, given my love for the game of golf. But I'm gonna pick probably the most famous golfer of all time, Tiger Woods, for a few different reasons. Obviously, he just dominated the game for many years and accumulated numerous major championships, tournament wins, records, etc. But I thought it was also kind of fitting, given it's almost Thanksgiving, that his downfall started on November 27th, I believe, 2009, when he crashed his Escalade um, in his backyard and the whole infidelity and uh, sex scandal uh, occurred and pretty much his game fell from there as well. He came back and and won eight tournaments between 2012 and 13 but was never really the same golfer as before and didn't win any majors and then he started to have severe back problems and that fell into his game as well and it looked like he might be done for good around 2017. And then we kind of got the ultimate comeback story last year when he won the 2019 Masters and came full circle there, hugging his son Charlie behind the 18th green like he did with his dad back in 1997 when he won his first major. So I, and I wrote about this on my first blog piece, just kind of the connection there to a, a quote, normal, you know, regular everyday person and just how like even the best of all time can go through some adversity, even though a lot of it was self-inflicted, but, and just had the ability to, to rebound and, and never give up. And the, the end of the story was looking pretty bad for a long time, but um, he was able to add that chapter at the end. So the book's got a different ending now and that's why I'm picking him. Can I confess that I, I wept last year when Tiger won the Masters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which may seem sad uh, and disturbing, but I did. Cried real tears. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the best moments I've ever seen in sports. So. Many doubted we'd ever see it. But here it is. The return to glory. Nice. And Mark, your your love for Tiger has inspired me as well. I was never like a huge 
uh, fan. My my biggest Tiger Woods reference was back living in Asheville, as Tom and Scott would remember. There were the billboards all over that said see what inspired me um which went up right before also right before the scandal so they those billboards took on a a a, a nice kind of ironic ring but yeah I've, I've i'm a convert because of your appreciation for the for the man nice all right tom who do you got with my first pick in the random sports category draft that you have proposed <laughs> Um, feels like there was a call for characters. So I have chosen to go with Mark the Bird Fidrich, pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, pitched his entire career for the Tigers. I always appreciate when a player stays with one team for the length of the career. Granted, the length of his career was not all that long, <laughs> but uh, he sort of took the nation by storm and became the most interesting person on earth in 1976 when as a rookie, he was incredible, uh, 2.34 ERA, 19-9 record. Uh, but his whole thing was he sort of made being a little crazy uh, okay. Um, so he would go and he would sort of talk to the ball and he'd have this little you know, uh, conference with himself behind the, behind the mound and, and punch it in the mitt and then come up and get on the mound and then just be fantastic. And uh, people just didn't know what to do. You were just like... Should we get him help or should we, you know, get him a, a better defense behind him? You know, so that was uh, that was the first time when personality and talent, I thought, were on display at the same time. Fidrich started the All-Star Game in 1976. The fans loved him. They called him Bird after Sesame Street's Big Bird. They loved his style, the way he'd talk to the baseball, or fill up the hole on the pitcher's mound. People thought I was strange. I didn't think anything of it until people started saying, hey, you know what you're doing out there? Ah, pitching. Oh, before you pitch. I mean, yeah, filling up the hole. I don't like it. You want me to get the ground crew out here every time? I mean, you know, stop the game, ground crew, you know, fix the mound, you know? I mean, because eventually then I wear into my own hole. You know what I'm saying? And it was a thing of, why go into someone else's hole? That's the way he pitches. Pitch the way you pitch, and if he wants to go in your hole, let him. Nice. I did. I did. I'm not familiar. I'm gonna have to do some research. Coming out of left field, so uh, to speak. Pitcher mound, but yes. <laughs> um, all right. So Scott, it's it's your turn for uh, for the athlete that represents the majesty of sports. Uh, so this is tough. I thought some of these people would be chosen. So I'm gonna go with Bo Jackson. Um, just an otherworldly athlete, obviously two-sport star, you know, sort of eschewed playing um, professional football when drafted by the then lowly Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, started playing baseball um, and just, you know, sort of, again, otherworldly athleticism, sort of his catches and running up the wall, the outfield wall sideways. And, um, you know, even when he struck out, he would sort of break the bat over his uh, over his thigh, which I had never seen before. Just like, what is this guy, you know, superhuman? And then, of course, he started playing football for the then Los Angeles Raiders and the Raiders. The Raiders, yes. I thought, Tom, you were going to take Bo. But then his sort of coming out party 
um, in professional football for the Raiders when he ran over Brian Bosworth um, and then ran past him on Monday Night Football and sort of ran up the tunnel. Then, of course, uh, the iconic commercial, the Bo Nose commercial, uh, which, you know, was great. And then, of course, when Wayne Gretzky says, Bo Nose Hockey... Baseball. Bo knows football. Bo knows basketball too. Bo knows tennis. No. Uh, and then I I think this is like a weird, not even like backhanded, but like the biggest compliment I ever gave LeBron is that I felt like LeBron played basketball like how I always imagined <laughs> Bo Jackson would play basketball. I could definitely uh, if see that. that makes sense. Um, and LeBron is, you know, also up there in terms of like insane athletes that I've seen. But uh, yeah, Bo is there. He was number one on my list. But <sighs> since we were a little character free, I went with uh, choice number two and yeah my highest regard for Bo Jackson that he was so athletically gifted that it ended up being his downfall and that when somebody tackled him he literally ran out of his hip socket yeah mm. I it must have been when was the height of Bo mania maybe 88 80 88 89 right in there yeah I think it was uh Halloween 88 uh, my mom sewed together a uh, a jersey, half Royals, half Raiders jersey. I carried a glove in one hand and a football in the other, and um, I I was very proud of that. Uh, John, take it out of the closet that's behind you right now. <laughs> like, just, just blow our minds. Oh my God! I wish I wish I still had that. I don't know where that went. John, fun fact: Bo lives in the Chicago suburbs, uh, right by my parents. Okay. We'll have to uh, stop by next time. Yeah. Swing by both. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this this is going better than I could have hoped. And Scott, <laughs> uh, you have the next the next pick, but let me introduce it here. Maybe it's a struggling downmarket baseball team inherited by a former Las Vegas showgirl who realizes her only way to move the team to Miami is to finish dead last. Maybe it's a small town Indiana high school basketball team that wins a state championship under the leadership of a gritty man with a spotty past, an unconventional playbook, and a hopelessly alcoholic assistant coach played by Dennis Hopper. Or maybe these are the plot synopses of Major League and Hoosiers, and you guys can give me actual examples from real life of teams that created a narrative around them, overcame odds, ignited a city's hope, etc. Scott? All right, I'm going to do a little bit of time traveling, and I'm going to go with 1950s New York, specifically for the baseball, um, because uh, at that point, you had the New York Giants, the New York Yankees, and the Brooklyn Dodgers. We had Subway Series involving... Uh, two out of three of those teams in 1951, 52, 53, 55, and 56. And you had some of the best, um, not only baseball players, but athletes of all time playing in the same city at the same time. Willie Mays, Jackie Robinson, Mickey Mantle. Uh, the shot heard around the world happened um, at that point with the New York Giants. Back to throw. There's a long strike. I can't be, I believe. The Giants won the pass. The Giants won the pass. The Giants won the pass. 
and it's like um, you know, sort of growing up in the in the '80s and sort of reading certain sports writers. Um, like that time was really like feels like it's out of myth. And I, I'm gonna steal something that I heard on a on the old Deadspin, one of their old uh, podcasts. But they said like like Mike Lupica when he would talk about that time started writing in the second person like you loved the Mick you worship the Mick you know and I've always loved that but I was like it's true like I, I mean you know like this is when like you cut to Billy Crystal in the documentary and he starts talking about like hiding his radio in the classroom and they're like Mr. Crystal share the score with all of us you know doesn't this happen to everybody I'm thinking it's just like one of those things that I think it'd be really cool to be living in New York and just be like, I'm going to go watch baseball with one of these spe- spectacular teams. Love it. I I often say that if I could time travel, that's that's where I would go. And then I would go see some jazz. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Tom? I will bring us back a little bit more current, but not too much. And uh, never mind a city or an area, I will go with the country and have it be the 1980 U.S. Men's Olympic Hockey Team, who we can thank for the miracle on ice. As an impressionable youth at that time, I remember that as a very specific memory in my house of sitting on our couch and wanting that so badly to happen and coach Herb Brooks and uh, Mike Ruzioni and the goalie Jim Craig um, just playing incredibly um, them defeating the Russian national team which had kind of never happened and then knowing enough to go ahead and finish the deal so a lot of people think that that was the gold medal game it was not they did have to go and beat Finland which they they did and uh, it was just incredible to see back when the Olympics featured uh, amateurs uh, and then the Russian team, which might as well have been pros, they were sort of supported by the government. Um, it just was everything about an underdog story that you could uh, uh, ever hope for in a time when the tensions between the U.S. and uh, Russia were, or the USSR at that point, were very intense. So to see it play out in a hockey rink with guys that clearly were going back to bagging groceries um, the next week was just everything you could hope for in it also resulted in a movie starring Kurt Russell, so uh, that's always an added bonus. Excellent. You know, my dad always says that game didn't air live. Is that right? He, he was just tell the story that he he got that game spoiled for him. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> a, a lot of that stuff, yeah, back then was still on tape delay. Uh, yeah. True. So yeah, I don't what think a nightmare. It was too much later, but it might have been a, a couple hours. Um, you didn't have Twitter sort of announcing everything, but still. right someone from the New York area or who was attending it could have, you know, kind of shared that and shared it and shared it. Um, so it was possible. Luckily, I did not know the outcome. Yeah. So Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles? Just just saying it now. The bumps, the goosebumps kind of thing. Yeah. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to show. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Love it. Mark, who do you got? 
That was a great pick. That was definitely on my draft board, but um, decided, luckily I have a backup for it. <laughs> so um, this one might surprise you, John, uh, given the fact that you know I'm a White Sox fan, but I'm going to go with the 2003 Chicago Cubs. And the reason I'm going to go with that is because I was a junior in college and uh, lived with five other guys, roommates in our house who are all diehard Cubs fans. And uh, if you recall, the Cubs reached um, the National League Championship Series against the Florida Marlins, uh, now the Miami Marlins. And we're up three games to, to two, up three nothing in the top of the eighth inning with one out when the famous or infamous Steve Bartment incident took place where um, there's a pop fly down the third base line. A bunch of people put their hands out. Moises Alou was going to catch it, and Steve Bartman's hands hit the ball, and you know the rest. The Marlins scored eight consecutive runs, won game six, and then won uh, in game seven, um, ruining the Cubs' hopes of going to the World Series for the first time since 1908. because it was really awkward for me as a White Sox fan watching all these games with my some of my best friends who were diehard Cubs fans. And, you know, part of me wanting them to win and hoping they would win for, for their sake, but then part of me as a White Sox fan, you know, enjoying the outcome of that, of that game and, and to see just, uh, you know, 21-year-old guys like crying after this and you know the the pain of a, an entire city you know for that long of a period of time um it was definitely a moment i'll remember as a sports fan and lucky for them they got their world series four years ago so it all worked out so an, another thing mark that uh, that i kind of had my perspective changed from your input was the this whole cubs white Sox thing as a as an outsider from chicago you kind of just think of of the cubs as kind of the you know the underdog sweetheart that everybody loves and then when i heard that it's not necessarily so as a chicagoan i was surprised what can you give kind of a synopsis of like uh the what people what some people might feel about Cubs fans or the just the vibe. Yeah, I I mean don't get me wrong, there's diehard Cubs fans, so I don't wanna come off saying that. But I think the the feeling that a lot of White Sox fans or some people have is that, you know, people just enjoy going to Wrigley Field, drinking some beers, going to the bars and not even paying attention to the game, which I mean, who can fault them? That's a blast <laughs> to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's the sense that there's, you know, a lot of bandwagon fans from even outside the city of Chicago. I mean, you see Cubs games all over the place, whether they're in Arizona or San Diego or 
whatnot, and there's Cubs jerseys everywhere, everywhere, and you know that's similar to the Yankees and other teams. But I think that's kind of where some of that um, anger from White Sox fans comes from, and, and maybe even a little jealousy too, because you go down to the <laughs> the South Side, that guaranteed rate field now, and it's just you know the stadium's generally half empty until. Well, definitely this season with the pandemic, but um, now they have at least a good team that's up and coming. So hopefully we'll get a, a few more uh, battles, crosstown series, I guess you could call them, between the Cubs and the Sox. Did you think about potentially drafting Steve Bartman instead of Tiger? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have been <laughs> that would have been a good pick. But I, I think he's still in hiding, so I don't know if he's available <laughs> to be picked. John, did you go as Steve Bartman for Halloween one year? <laughs> Yeah, 2004. Wait, no, it would have been 2003 because it was right after. Yeah. Such Uh, a great costume with the Walkman and everything. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't seen it, you should watch the 30 for 30. I think it's called Catching Hell. It's really good. It's terrific, yeah. Yeah. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go. Drove to Chicago. All things known, all things known We sold our clothes to the state I don't mind, I don't mind I made a lot of mistakes In my mind, in my mind You came to take us All things go all right, Brian, you, you've got the last pick for teams, and then you've also got our first pick for our kind of grab bag final round. Nice. Um, I will go with for teams. So this is like uh, an, an era, I'll call it. I'm going to go with the New York Knicks of the mid-90s, 1993, 94, 95. Specifically, I'll say that's when I was really into it. That team kind of caught me at the perfect moment for sports fandom when you're like 13, 14, 15, and you're old enough to be really aware and into sports, but not old enough to have anything else going on in your life. So between the Charles Smith Memorial against the Bulls, then the two for 18, John Starks the next year, and then capped it off with Patrick Ewing missing the finger roll quite famously in 1995. Patrick Ewing had the shot, but it went in and out. And now, many questions concerning the New York Knicks. That stretch, I'll never want anything as badly in my life as I wanted that team to win a championship. And it's a hole that's never getting filled. It it never goes away. I think about it all the time. Like, if those games come on, they'll show them on, like, NBA TV sometimes. And I get sucked into those games, like, as though they're happening live. And I'll be yelling, like, at the refs and wanting calls. And my, my wife will be like, is this, isn't that a really old game? Be like, yes, it's exceptionally old. She's like, you know what happens. And somehow, I, in my mind, I still think that, I, may, I think this time, though, maybe it'll go our way. So that team is my all-time favorite team of any sport 
even though they broke they broke me in, in very important ways. Excellent. And um, so now we're gonna kind of. I just got just to before t- we move on. I got to say that one got the most unanimous head nods. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of yeah. yes. Everyone agreed that that was pain. They they know. Well, everything. except my side as a Bulls fan, I enjoyed oh, enjoyed those games. So <laughs> I, I'm a Celtics fan, but was living in New York at that time. So you can't help but follow the team of the city that you're in. And I do remember coming back home and watching one of the Knicks games, and I totally threw a remote. I don't think yeah. I've ever done that before, but I threw a remote and broke a remote. And my I, mom, did, I smashed like, a remote what? After what? in 95 like, after yes. the finger roll, and my brother looked at me like just astonished at what I had done. Um, I also actually saw Charles Smith on the street about a year ago, and I had to like really restrain myself from... <laughs> you threw a remote at him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> All right, so I just got the ten-minute warning because uh, I don't have the, the super zoomy zoom. But speed round. Uh, yeah, so uh, speed round. This is so you can either double up on a on a team or a or an athlete on this one, or you can uh, you know draft like a, a a concept or a sports philosophy or like a rule change who knows the sky's the limit with this one two minutes each go all right this one was hard i've been going back and forth you just made me want to say the west coast offense (laughs) i don't think i'm gonna do that i thought about greg norman it's like i was very into as a day the shark it's choking i'm gonna say eli manning uh my favorite giant had the most one of the more remarkable careers of all time i think the only the only athletes I can recall who were the question, was he any good at all? And is he a Hall of Famer are both totally fair questions. <laughs> and I think the answer is yes to both. And there was something magical about him. And he gave me the two uh, greatest sports moments of my life, defeating the dastardly Patriots. 39 seconds left. And, and without him, you know, Tom Brady would have eight Super Bowls. And where would we all be? We would all be <laughs> in a hell of our own making. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Brian. Uh, so, Mark, what do you have? Yeah, I'm going with uh, a little different plant on this one. I'm going to go with like a what could have been kind of pick for an athlete. Um, and I'm going with Derek Rose, the basketball player, uh, former Bulls player. And this, the reason for my pick was it just had the makings of just a Cinderella story. Derek Rose, born in Chicago, uh, went to high school at Simeon, was drafted by the Bulls. They had a 1.7% chance to win the lottery in 2008, which is pretty low. And somehow they, they did. They selected him with the first overall pick. With the first pick in the 2008 NBA draft, the Chicago Bulls select... Derek Rose from the University of Memphis. He came into the league, was a star immediately, youngest MVP in league history in 2011. And then uh, they faced LeBron in the Heat in the 2011 Eastern Conference Finals. Lost in five games, but arrow was pointing up. And then the next season in the first game of the playoffs, he tore his ACL. uh, And it was never the same. You 
bypass the, the harder team in Miami uh -oh, Heat. Uh oh Roche came down bad on his left foot. See him holding on to his knee, holding on to his knee and down. He was flying and he came down wrong on the left foot. Now whether it was an ankle or a knee, I do not know. Had multiple injuries after that. Was eventually traded to the Knicks in 2016 and um, he's still in the league, uh, to his credit, he's battled a, lot of battled a lot of injuries, but was obviously never the same player. So it's kind of what could have been because, you know, he is the star from Chicago and it, he was destined to lead the Bulls to a title and just never materialized. Also was never able to fully grow in his mustache or shave it. <laughs> it's true. All right. Tom. So you said this was the wild card round, so yeah, I decided to go off menu a little bit. And so for my third round choice, I have chosen the San Diego chicken, also <laughs> known as the famous chicken or the KGB chicken or just the chicken. But if you don't know, he was the sports mascot for the San Diego Padres for 40 years, uh, played by Ted Giannoulis. I did my stint at the zoo giving away these Easter eggs. But then I saw the Padres were having opening day, and being a big baseball fan, I figured, you know, hmm, this might be a good way to get into opening day for free. So I called up the Padres. They let me come down, um, and provided I got them a plug on the air that they were playing. And uh, I just started cavorting around in the grandstands, just goofing off. What I did, actually, was take my fascination for comedy, merged it with my love of sports, and started uh, doing these things, uh, section to section. And he was yeah, just the first mascot. I know there was the, the kind of Philly fanatic, but he became bigger than the team. He was supposed to just be, you know, filling the innings, uh, inning breaks. And as someone who realized I would never make it on a sports team, I did see, wait, I could do that. Mm -hmm. There's a chance I could still be involved in that because I can do what that guy does, which is just make a fool of myself in front of people uh, in a way that they wish happened uh, again and again and again. So that was my choice for the wild card, the San Diego chicken. Excellent. Scott? Okay, my last pick, also like Tom, uh, a little bit um, not traditional. Uh, I'll go with defunct Altern alternative leagues. So, like when I was getting into sports, the USFL was happening. There's a professional football league that believes having fun is the most important business at hand. The USFL, where football is still a game. I loved the USFL. <laughs> um, it was happening in the spring. And also, uh, like reading about the ABA, I was like, what? There was some other league? People got to remember that the ABA was started on the idea of being entertaining. It was wackier, more open. It had more dunking. It had the three-point shot. It had that wacky, multicolor, polycolor ball. It's all about running and gunning and shooting more times than you. Our whole theory was, if we shoot 100 times, we shoot 130. And so just, yes, you had like different personalities like the ABA 
you know, that's where Dr. J got his start. Marvin Bad News Barnes, uh, you know, Wilt was there. They had like afros and weird team names and logos. The Spirits of St. Louis, the San Diego Conquistadors. Love that stuff. There's a great book about the ABA called Loose Balls by Terry Plato. And then the USFL, same thing, like Jim Kelly, who, you know, my favorite NFL team was the Buffalo Bills. You know, he was drafted, he was playing in this weird other league and putting up crazy numbers, you know, Herschel Walker, Steve Young. Uh, and again, just like cool logos, weird team names, San Antonio Gunslingers. So yeah, I, to this day, uh, alternate sports leagues love them. So that's my, that's my last pick. There was that strange baseball league out in California that sort of was self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. The California Penal League. That's a sorry. That's a major <laughs> league. <laughs> I would run it back XFL. to the intro. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. This this is uh, this. Re- I'm really went better than I could have imagined it going. <laughs> Very exciting. I think I think we should. Uh, this really should be the first annual, and then next year we can just do uh, this this year of sports. Uh, we can do you know. So uh, start comp- start compiling your sports moments for 2021, and, and we'll do this uh, in a year from now. Thank you so much, Scott, Tom, Brian, Mark. Well, we need uh, maybe a Mike and like a, a Steve and a Justin to get a few more normal uh, <laughs> names. Uh, we got like the most normal name group of dudes here possible. Any, any parting thoughts? Anybody have some something burning a hole in their brain that they need to say how do i win <laughs> oh yeah um well i'll i'll get people to vote um uh, post draft evaluations grades yeah. like they do we you know. yeah 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 so so yeah we'll have people vote and i'll announce the winner on on next week's show but they say you need five years to truly be able to evaluate a draft so <laughs> True. we'll see you in november 2025 our GM jobs are safe for five years. So. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, so much fun. It's good seeing all your faces and laughing and stuff. Thanks, you John. Too. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. All right. How about that? So to recap, Brian picked Phil Sims, the 90s Knicks, and Eli Manning. Mark picked Tiger Woods, the 2003 Cubs, and Derek Rose. Tom picked Mark Fidrich, the zany 1970s Tigers pitcher, the 1980s U.S. hockey team, Olympic hockey team, that is, and the San Diego Chicken. And Scott picked Bo Jackson, 1950s New York City baseball and defunct alternative leagues. So we'll vote on this. Um, you can hit me up. I'm, I'll put on on the uh, on the social media a, a request for votes, or you can text me or write to race to the b at gmail.com and I'll tally the votes for next week okay
This week's show has been brought to you by cityrunningtours.com slash New York City where you can sign up for running tours that also tell you the history of New York City and its neighborhoods in four of the five boroughs excluding the hellscape of Staten Island Thank you to City Running Tours for the appreciation. If you're listening to this on your computer, you can download the app for your phone. It works great and it's free, as is our newsletter. We only hit you up once a month to let you know all the great things that are happening at the station and keep you abreast. And if you're in the giving spirit, you can also... Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate and drop us a couple dollars, why don't you? So, like I said at the top of the show, I'm on kind of a George Harrison kick. And we'll, we'll stick with the Eastern influence the Ravi Shankar influence on George as we listen to Within You Without You from Sgt. Pepper's to play us out I went hard this this month we did the big uh, election celebration special We had the freestyle show with Tom. The Thanksgiving prep episode with Kyle and Chris. And and then then today's all-time sports draft. So that, that was our November. Get ready. Hold on to your seats and your butts for December. It's looking like I'm going to have my buddy Seth Kaufman back on the show next week to talk about his new project, his new album and and group, Dream Sitch. I got an an advanced copy. I'm going to be really diving into it and uh, talking to Seth next week. I'm going to try to get in touch with John Scales to see what's going on with him this month so we'll do some music we've got a top 10 show I'm going to get Tom back to help guest host and and look through some of the best moments from this year and it's it's going to be hard to pare it down to just 10 I thought because of the pandemic I was like oh am I even going to do a top 10 this year what did I even do we did a lot guys We'll do clips and Tom and I will yuck it up. And then we got our um, our big holiday spectacular. Gonna try to get Dr. Dad and Jay Clarkson 
maybe see if I can get Kent back on the show. Do a kind of a redux of last year. Talk about this crazy year and our relationship or lack thereof to the divine. You know, divine from the John Waters movies, right? But until then, I'm John Reed. This is Radio Free Brooklyn, and you've been listening to Race to the Bottom. Have a good week. And remember, life goes on within you and without you. Peace.
seen beyond yourself. 